You're listening to the podcast of The Branch in Ashland, Virginia. Since that night when Jesus celebrated the Passover with his disciples, the people of God have been celebrating the Lord's Supper. Paul's words to the early church in Corinth, who had begun to abuse this important meal, were, We proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What was it that Jesus and his disciples were celebrating? Just another holiday meal? No. It was something so much more. When we look back at the Old Testament, we see the meaning of the Lord's Supper through the Feast of the Unleavened Bread and Passover. Today, we look into that meaning. I've mentioned before, I think my dad was a a pastor, and we didn't have a a ton of money growing up, so we would uh, do a lot of stuff as a family. We'd go on road trips together. Uh, We'd do family game nights. Um, Once in a while, we'd go miniature golfing or something um, but but you know one thing that I remember we always did as a family was that we ate dinner together no matter what if my dad was in town he would do his best to make sure that he was getting home by five o'clock so that uh, dinner was on the table by 5 15 or 5 30 and we would together as a family come and and we would eat and um, I remember as I got to be a teenager too uh, if I skipped dinner uh, you know parents weren't happy about that because they knew that this was a time that that we came together as a family and it's not just something that we did studies have actually been done that talk about the importance and the value of of having dinner together a harvard study uh, of family dinners and their benefits said this they said despite family mealtimes being hugely beneficial to kids only about 30% of families manage to eat together regularly. Um, But according to that study and some other studies, they also said this, that 80% of teenagers claim family dinner is the time they're most likely to converse with their parents. Um, And then 85% of parents spend dinner with their children over five times per week Besides the benefits for families of, of being together, I've quoted before Michael Frost, who's a, a missiologist, an author, and a speaker. He said this, he said, the table is the great, great equalizer in relationships. That around the table, we have the opportunity to be seen and to be known by other people when we come and we share a table together. Around the table, um, we have the opportunity to have communion with one another. If you were with us last week or if you joined online or or listened online, I shared that the definition of communion from the, the dictionary is this, the mental or spiritual exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings. Can you think of the time when you were around a table and something significant or meaningful took place? Where you had a a meaningful conversation or you had a meaningful connection with other people where you experienced that definition of communion. As we read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the accounts of Jesus' life here on this earth, we actually see Jesus interacting more around tables and around meals than we do see him uh, within the synagogue, which was the center of of worship uh, for that culture. And today, uh, we've been looking over the last few weeks at this idea of communion. And today, we look at 
communion together with God and each other around the table that we celebrate on a monthly basis. You know, here at the branch, we, we do it once a month. Like I said, we've shifted it to, to put it on our family Sunday instead of doing it on our first Sunday. But um, some people call it communion. Some people call it the Lord's Supper. Some people call it the Eucharist. Uh, we're celebrating that meal that Jesus celebrated with his disciples that night that he was betrayed. And when we come together To celebrate the Lord's Supper, we might not always realize just the depth uh, of and rich tradition that that meal had for Jesus and his disciples, but for us as well. That there was something significant that they were celebrating when they came around that table. And if we aren't careful, we can approach this table with kind of a It's just another meal. Uh, I'm just going to kind of go through the motion and not consider exactly what we're celebrating when we come to this table, the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. The, The Lord's Supper actually points us backwards to the history of God's people. What Jesus and his disciples were celebrating when they gathered together in that upper room was the Passover meal. The Feast of Unleavened Bread. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Exodus 12. We'll have the passage up on the screen as well. Reading from the New International Version. This is what we see. We read, in ver- starting in verse 17 of Exodus chapter 12. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. In the first month, you're to eat bread made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day until the evening of the 21st day. For seven days, no yeast is to be found in your houses. And anyone, whether foreign or native-born, who eats anything with yeast in it must be cut off from the community of Israel. Eat nothing made with yeast. Wherever you live, you must eat unleavened bread. Skipping down to verse 24. Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Tell them, it's the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. The people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. You know, someday I, I hope that um, we can either either somebody else in the community or we can do it here at the branch, but uh, does a Passover Seder. If you've ever had the opportunity to be a part of the celebration of that Passover meal, there's something so rich uh, that's celebrated in that that goes all the way back to Exodus. But for those of us who are Christians and look at look at the Passover from this side of the cross, I think it's even more exciting for us to be able to see all the imagery, all the different symbols within that meal that were being celebrated and how they all point to Jesus. The Passover Seder, the Passover meal that they celebrated was a meal that was remembering the celebration of the fact that God passed over 
his people. He spared them the same fate that happened to the Egyptians when they took a pure and spotless lamb and they shed its blood and they put it on the doorposts signifying that God could pass over them. When the Passover Seder is done, traditionally what happens within that meal is they find the youngest person there or the youngest person who uh, can actually recite this and that person will say or ask the question, why is this night different from all others? And as one uh, website says about that celebration and about that question, it says it's meant to express the child's confusion at the difference between a typical everyday or holiday meal and the unusual features of the Seder. And I think just like that child within the celebration of the Passover Seder meal asks that question, we, when we come to the table of Jesus to celebrate communion, Eucharist, the Lord's Supper, can ask the question, what makes this meal different than all the other meals that we share together? Within the Lord's Supper, we're celebrating a very abbreviated version of the Passover Seder. Um, There's only few elements that we carry with us when we do this. But when we do this, we're joined together as a family. The family of God, we're, we're joined together generationally with our children, and we're joined together as the church, the Big C Church, that generations have celebrated this meal together, that they've come to this table to celebrate and to remember what God has done. You do remember holiday meals as a kid. I think fondly about so many of my experiences with with my family. My mom was one of five, and and I remember driving to, I didn't like the drive so much, but once we finally got there, having all kinds of food and seeing my cousins and aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas. And one of my most favorite things about those celebrations was listening to stories and hearing about when my mom was a little girl and the terror that she was and all the things that that she did. And I thought to myself, really, my mom was like that? And, And just hearing about all those stories because it connected me. And there was this shared story that we had. I I would hear about aunts and uncles and, and relatives that I hadn't even met. There's something that happens when we come to the table in communion with one another that we celebrate together. There's something that draws us together around a shared story. And the communion meal, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, it draws us together in communion with God and with one another. That meal, it points us backwards to see how God was faithful to his people in the celebration of the Passover. But the Lord's Supper also points us forward to the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus was doing with his disciples. He was injecting new meaning for them and saying, hey, you celebrated this about what was to come and what had happened, but let me tell you, there's a new spotless lamb and it's me. I'm the one who's going to shed the blood for you and you aren't going to have to make this sacrifice anymore. In Matthew 26, 29, Jesus 
says, I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So the Lord's Supper points backwards to the celebration of the Feast of Unleavened Bread and Passover, but it also points forward to a meal that we will celebrate one day with Jesus. Jesus was saying to his disciples in Matthew 26, hey, there's going to be a meal that we'll celebrate together in the culmination of all things. You know, when Jesus prayed that prayer that, that we've learned, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he wasn't just spewing out empty words. He was talking about what was to come, that the kingdom of God would finally come and be ushered in. And when that happens, there'll be a celebration, a, a marriage feast of the Lamb that they'll celebrate. Every time that we celebrate this meal together, the same meal that Jesus shared with his disciples, we do as Paul said. And Paul talked to that church, that early church in Corinth. And he said in 1 Corinthians, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In our communion together with God and each other around this table, we're being evangelistic in the true sense of the word. That word has been sort of hijacked in today's culture. But evangelism and evangelistic and evangelical, it all points back to the, what is called the good news. And when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Paul said, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. You're basically proclaiming the good news that, that Jesus came to be the sacrificial spotless lamb to pour out his blood so that you didn't have to make a sacrifice anymore. You didn't have to go find a pure spotless lamb anymore because the pure spotless lamb came, he lived, he died, and then he rose again. And that was a once for all sacrifice. And we don't have to think about that anymore. The good news is the fact that we're invited into the restoration of all things. That God made a way to restore us back to himself through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. For as long as the church has celebrated this meal together, this meal instituted by Jesus, there's been disagreement and differing opinions about just what the presence of Jesus is when we do this. You know, some who grow up in the Roman Catholic tr tradition will claim that Jesus actually is physically present with us, that, that his that the bread actually becomes the body of Christ, that the, the juice or the wine actually becomes the blood of Jesus Christ in, in what theologians will call transubstantiation, that the, blood or the, the, the bread and the wine are transubstantiated into the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Some Protestants will say that, that these are just symbols, that the bread and the juice, the bread and the wine, they're just symbols pointing to what Jesus has done. Other Protestants will say that Jesus is spiritually present here among us when, when we take this meal. And Martin Luther, who was sort of the impetus behind the Reformation, he had kind of this different view that that yes it was a spiritual presence but it was also a physical presence but it wasn't quite this transubstantiation but Jesus was present well 
regardless of where we fall on that continuum, I think all of us can say that, that there's something mystical, there's something uh, powerful that happens when we come together to celebrate this meal, that Jesus is present with us. What did Jesus say to his followers? Where two or three of you are gathered, there I am also. There's a communion that happens when we come to this table together. And Jesus is present in some divine and miraculous way when we take part in his broken body and his spilled blood through the bread and through the juice. You see, eating together is about presence. We started out this time talking about the value of being together. And there's something about being physically present, but you know, we also need to be mentally and spiritually present. And we have that expectation that, that Jesus is spiritually present with us when we come to the table as well. And we commune with one another. We commune with him. <clears throat> Writing to the early Christians in Corinth, the Apostle Paul said, actually came down kind of hard on them because they had been misusing this meal. They were just kind of going through the motions. Actually, some of them were coming because they're drinking wine at the meal. Like they're getting drunk at communion. Sounds like a really good idea, right? No. And Paul's words to them were like, hey, guess what? You guys have missed this. This isn't just any meal. This isn't a meal to come and eat it all and then go home. There's something significant about this meal. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul writes this to that early church. He said, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so then, whoever eats the bread or, or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. The early church, you know, we're not like a generation past Jesus and they already were getting it wrong. They, they were already missing it. And Paul's bringing them back again and saying, hey, guess what, guys? Like, you're abusing this, but there's something so much more important that you're missing when you do that. You're missing what we're supposed to be doing here. And when we do that, when we eat this bread and we drink this cup and we aren't thinking about what Jesus did for us, then what Paul is saying is that we're, we're eating uh, and, and guilty of basically sinning against Jesus because we're making light of the sacrifice that he made for us. And he reminds them a few verses later in verse 33, So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. 
Here's the thing about this meal is that we all come to the table and we all come in this exact same way. None of us are worthy of coming to this table. You know, we don't kind of saddle up to the table and go, oh, where's my seat? I get the best seat in the house. Because all of us shouldn't be here. But Jesus makes a way. Jesus makes a way and the table becomes the great equalizer. Nothing should separate us from each other. We shouldn't be uh, exclusive in coming to this table other than the fact that we need to understand what we're celebrating here and know that, hey, this is something to be taken seriously. This is something that we need to examine ourselves and make sure that we're not just coming to this table saying, oh, let me eat, let me drink, all right, then let me get out of here. It's not that kind of table. You know, we've become such a fast food society that food isn't about enjoyment anymore. It's about just getting it done. But the Lord's Supper is not that kind of a meal. It's not a, hey, let me get it done kind of thing. It's a, hey, let me remember what Jesus did for me. And we come to the table together. There's our, there are no better seats. There are no exclusivity things here that when we come to the table, it's the table of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He allows us to come. He invites us to the table, and it's a table of grace and hospitality. When we're invited in grace and hospitality, it's not because of anything that we've done before. We didn't earn our place at the table. Jesus earned it for us. So if we think of nothing else when we come to this table, at least remember this, that we don't come of our own volition, of our own uh, earning. We come because Jesus earned it for us. That's not for us to be guilty or, or feeling shameful. It's, it's a freedom thing. And we come and approach that table because Jesus is worthy. You know, some of us might come to this table and we might feel like, well, you know what? I'm not going to come to this table because I'm unworthy. Yeah, you're right. So am I. So are each and every one of us. And honestly, if any of us comes to this table and is like, I'm worthy, I deserve this, I should get this, like we probably are the ones who need to be sitting down. We're probably the ones who need to take a step back and say, no, actually I'm not worthy. And neither are you, and neither are you, or you, or you, or you. But, but God. But God made us worthy because the worthiness doesn't come from us. It comes from Jesus and what he did. And all those years ago when they celebrated the Passover and they shed the blood of the, the innocent and spotless lamb, they were pointing forward to what would happen on the cross of Calvary when Jesus shed his blood for us to make us worthy to come to this table. We don't approach with our own unworthiness. We approach with the worthiness of Jesus. That he willingly and graciously and hospitably gives to us. And he says, no, you're not worthy, but guess what? Through me you are. 
It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've said or any of those things because if you come in repentance and you come and acknowledge who he is, then he's saying, my worthiness is your worthiness. There's an account in the book of Acts, which is the story of what happens after Jesus ascends into heaven. And the, the planting of the church in the, in the ancient Near East. And there's a man named Philip who's just kind of going about his business traveling on the road. And he runs into this Ethiopian official. And this Ethiopian official's role, he didn't have books back then, so he rolls out the scroll of Isaiah and he's reading this passage and he's trying to connect it and say, I don't know that I get what I'm reading. And Philip just kind of breaks it down for him. And as Philip does that and he talks about the fact that Jesus instituted these things to be celebrated with, uh, by the people of God, the sacraments we call them, the Ethiopian official, he sees water and he says, look, there's water. What would keep me from being baptized? And Philip says nothing and he baptizes him right then. You know, here at the branch, there's two things that we consider to be sacraments, both instituted by Jesus, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Sacraments are an outward sign of an inward grace. And when we celebrate them, we join together, not only with Christ in communion, but in communion with one another and in communion with the overall church who for centuries has practiced both baptism and the Lord's Supper. And we join together in communion with him and with each other. And we come to the table and we say, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. This is a gift for us to come to the table. And so what do we do with this? Just some questions to prepare us as we come to this table. First of all, how is this table distinct for you? Now, I'm not asking how you've done it in the past. I'm saying today, now, in this space, how, how is this table distinct for you? How is it different? And then also, because meals are not just celebrated here, but we all go out into the world and we celebrate meal, and what does communion look like for you? How do you experience communion around your table? How do you invite others in, in celebration and participation of a meal with you? And then, how will you find communion with God today through this meal? How will you make it different? I think it's such a beautiful thing the way that that Passover Seder has the youngest among them ask that question. You know, why is this meal different than any other? If you ask yourself no other question when you come to this table today, ask yourself that. Why is this different? What makes this different? Has the Lord's Supper become just another meal to you, or does it still hold the significance that it once did? Maybe you never really fully appreciated just what was being celebrated, and today was an opportunity to learn more. When we come to the table of Jesus, we meet with Him, and we do it together with brothers and sisters in Christ. 
May we know and enjoy the presence of Jesus and one another as we celebrate this meal together until Jesus comes back again. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at thebranchashland at gmail.com. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, give us a review, and share with your friends and family. Thanks for listening. See you next time.